0: Well, thank you so much, praise team. That was a wonderful time together of praising our God. And the praise team will be back as we close out our service to lead us in some more special praising of the Lord. Uh, Some time ago I was studying John 15 where Jesus talks about abiding in Christ. And as I was studying, I learned from Jesus' teaching that there is a very clear process to Christian living. And the process that Jesus describes for us is that faith in Christ leads to love for Christ, which then leads to obeying Christ's words. And it always has to go in this direction. If we try to love without faith, there will be no connection point. So we have to believe. We have to have faith in what Christ has revealed about Himself to have a relationship. And then love will come naturally. And we will want to learn more about Christ and love Him more. Uh, Then when our love is growing, we will want to obey Him more. And so, as you can see here, abiding in Christ is a process. And it has to work this way. When faith in Christ is growing, then love will grow. And the natural result of love growing is that obedience will grow. This past week I was looking at a passage in the MacArthur Study Bible and I saw a comment that really perfectly lays it out, much better even than I could do. Here is this comment in the MacArthur Study Bible. The one who lives by faith is internally motivated by love for God and Christ, which supernaturally issues forth in reverent worship, genuine obedience and self-sacrificing love for others. There it is, the very process that Jesus was talking about. Now what we want to see today as we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark, and we today come to chapter 14, is this process fleshed out in a real-life follower of Jesus, Mary. Mary was a believer who loved Jesus very, very deeply, and she gave her all to Him in obedient worship. And this morning as we come to Mark 14, 1 to 11, we're going to see this very special episode of the anointing at Bethany. And what Mary teaches us is what growing love for Jesus is all about. And what we're going to see is this. This kind of love stems from growing faith, and it will always lead to obedient worship. And so I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to Mark 14. In the chair Bible in front of you, it's about page 1011 or 12 or so. And let's begin, shall we, for some time together in God's Word by reading verses 1 to 3. Now remember, we are right around Jesus' final week of His life. This is Holy Week. And this experience occurs just days before He would pass and die. And listen to what the Bible says. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread... And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, obviously a man that Jesus had healed, as he was reclining at table, a woman came With an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. I want you to notice as we begin this account that it is very, very clear to us that we are learning that loving Jesus is costly. To love Jesus in the way that we ought to love Him is a very costly thing. Now, this unnamed woman was actually Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. We know that from John 12, which gives the same account of this story. Uh, The alabaster flask that is described here would have looked very much like this. It was a small stone flask with a long, slender neck. Now, we are told here in verse 3 that it had ointment that was pure nard and it was very costly. Pure nard was an aromatic oil from a rare plant root in India. In Jesus' day at special uh, banquets they would recline at the table, and it was customary to come to a very special guest, and you might drop a, a few drops of oil on their head, John. But Mary poured it all on Jesus' head, and you know what John says? He poured the rest on her feet. And then he wiped her she wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, This uh, ointment, it was probably a family heirloom. It was a status symbol that her family was very proud of owning. As we're going to see in just a moment, the disciples uh, figured that it was worth about 300 denarii. That was almost the annual income of a blue-collar worker. Do you know what this equivalent would be for us today in U.S. dollars? Are you ready? The equivalent today would be about $30,000. That's the equivalent. Uh, You know what this would be like? This would be like inheriting from our family a very expensive diamond maybe that was owned by grandma or great grandma passed down to our generation a very expensive and precious diamond and then we give it away that's what this would be like now we need to understand what it went into mary's reasoning you see in the old testament kings were anointed before they began their rule You remember Saul was anointed, David was anointed, and every king. Messiah means anointed one, and Mary recognized Jesus was the royal Messiah. By this lavish, expensive anointing, she declared Him not just to be any king of Israel, but she declared Him king of all kings and Lord of all lords and she knew very well what psalm 2:12 said kiss the son blessed are all who take refuge in him and by giving the very best that she had she was revealing her absolute love and complete devotion to jesus do you have the lesson I think we all have the lesson. True love is always costly. True love is always costly. Pastor Jerry Vines in his sermon on this portion of Scripture has said this, I've come to believe that if love is real love, if you love someone in the way that you ought to love, it will always be a costly thing in your life. And that's true. You see, if we really love Jesus as we ought to love, we'll be passionate to do what He wants us to do, go where He wants us to go, and we will be very, very passionate to be what He wants us to be. One of the great statements that has come down to us to our day came from a very, very well-known and useful missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd uh, was a famous star cricket player, and I'm going to ask that uh, you look at what he had to say. He was a famous cricket player in England, and he had a very famous future. But he gave it all up to become a missionary to China, India, and Africa. And this is what C.T. Studd said. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for Him. And all God's people said, Amen. Now I would only add one check here. One check. It must be a sacrifice that Jesus approves of. Not everyone can make the same sacrifices. Not everyone should make the same sacrifices. The sacrifices that I make for Jesus, they may be different than the ones that you make. But here's what we must see if we are not making any sacrifices in how we live, where we go, what we do, then we are not really loving Jesus. Because loving Jesus is always costly. Let's continue. I want you to notice in this episode we learned that loving Jesus is risky. Loving Jesus is risky. Notice what happened in verses 4 and 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, We would say, my goodness, this was worth $30,000. Imagine what you could do for the poor with that money. And they scolded her. Do you know that Mary was probably shocked at the reaction that she got? They wagged their finger at her and they scold her. Uh, May I say this this morning? She wasn't the last one to be blown away by an insensitive... Right? By the way, the word scold here, verse 5, it's a very graphic word. You know what it was used of? It was used of angry horses snorting. They snorted their indignation at her. You know what we would say? They ripped into her big time. And we say, who? Well, Mark doesn't tell us. And so we would assume, well, this is the scribes and the priests, right? You know who John says it was? It was Judas. Judas was a thief. He was stealing from the money bag and boy, his eyes got greedy when he saw this. In fact, did you notice what he did right after this episode? Look at verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money and he sought an opportunity to betray him. This incident, listen carefully, this incident so upset Judas and the waste that he saw that it became the precipitating factor for him to finally say, I am going to betray Jesus. But are you ready? Matthew says the other disciples joined Judas. Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, all joined the horse snorting. Now, here's what's shocking about this Mary was a disciple too. She was not one of the twelve, but she was a follower of Christ as they were. So you know what we have here? We have disciples criticizing one of their own. And for what? Not anything sinful, not anything that was wrong, but something that was unconventional. They criticized her because she showed love for Jesus in a way they personally disapproved of. They thought it was wasteful. This would never happen in our church, would it? This never happens between Bible believing churches, does it? We never attack each other over being different, do we? The pastor that married us grew up in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And one day I was in a service where he was preaching. And in the sermon, this is what he said, I wrote it down because it struck me so much. This is what he said, A negative, carpingly critical, fault-finding spirit has done more damage in the church than smoking, dancing, movie-going, and many other things that we like to amen against. And the fact that he included those things tells you the kind of judgmental background that he came from. And I thought to myself when I heard those words, wow, those are strong words, but he is probably right, there is too much horse snorting amongst Christians. More people are hurt by a hypercritical, censorious spirit than many of the things we condemn. And I think we know that that's true. I'd like you to read with me a verse that comes from Philippians two fourteen and 15. Would you read these two verses with me? because they are so pertinent here as to what the disciples were doing wrong as they scolded Mary. Read them with me. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I knew a pastor who one day witnessed to a lady who said she had never sinned. It's the only person he'd ever met who said he had, she had never sinned. And then he said to her, well, let me ask you, have you ever complained or have you ever grumbled? And she said, yeah, I have. Well, then he quoted these verses. She thought for a moment, she said, I guess I have sinned. This got her. And do you see what it's saying? We're like that lighthouse shining light across that sea. That's what we are as believers in this world. But what he is saying is that when we have a hypercritical, censorious spirit, we act just like the crooked and twisted generation in which we live. And what that does is destroy our light so they cannot see the glory of the gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When I was in Bible college, we had students who were very much like this. Uh they they loved the Lord and they wanted to serve the Lord, but they were raised in an environment where they had a, a very, very narrow outlook, and they raised their level of personal opinions to the height of biblical truth, and for them any deviation was compromised to them. So if someone's hair was too long, they were critical. If a different version of the Bible was used they criticized that they found fault with uh, different kinds of music you know one guy even criticized a fellow student's jogging shorts i I just I couldn't believe the day that he harshly criticized a fellow student for the kind of jogging shorts he was wearing. And I thought, wow, look what this leads to. Those students thought they were spiritual. You know what the truth was? It was horse snorting. That's what it was. Let me give you two statements about criticism from two spiritual heroes of mine that I hope will help you keep going when you face the risk of somebody's unfair criticism. More Christians have been stopped in their race because of this. And this, I hope, will help you. My old prof, Howard Hendricks, who is now with the Lord, said this, When you are criticized and you are wrong, profit from it. Learn from it. Let it correct you and teach you. But, he said, when you are criticized and you are in the right... Don't stoop to be bothered by it. Here's some helpful words from Pastor Warren Wiersbe, who pastored Moody Church when I was attending there as a student. Listen to what he says. No matter what others may say about our worship and service, the most important thing is that we please the Lord. The fact that others misunderstand and criticize us should not keep us from showing our love to Christ. Our concern should be His approval alone. As long as we have His approval from His Word, criticism should not stop us. Now I want you to notice There is a third lesson about love here. Finally, number three. Loving Jesus is worthy. Loving Jesus is worthy. Look at verse 6. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. By the way, who's upset now? Who's scolding now? Jesus is. Let me just say this this morning. We need to be very, very careful here. When we unfairly criticize others, heaven frowns at us, not the ones that we are criticizing. Please don't ever forget that. When we in self-righteous judgment are rising up and we are unfairly criticizing others with a censorious, hypercritical spirit, heaven is frowning at us, not the ones that we are criticizing. Boy, does that get my attention this morning. Now we have to ask a very practical question here. Why did Jesus defend Mary? Why did Jesus defend Mary? Let me give you two reasons. Number one, she did it for him. Jesus was not putting down serving the poor because the Bible calls us to serve the poor. Uh, The contrast here is not between Jesus and the poor. It is between always having the poor, but not always having Jesus physically present as He was. And what Jesus was doing is this. He was drawing attention in verse 8 to a very important burial custom among the Jews. He says, She has anointed My body beforehand for burial." You know what the Jews would do when they would uh, prepare a body for burial? They would bathe the body. Then they would uh, anoint the body with perfume. Then the perfume bottle that would be broken to get the oil out of it, they would take the pieces and they would put it in the tomb with the body. Now, here's the important thing. Jesus never got that, did He? That was never done for Him. He was hastily buried without proper honor. How many of us today think that was right? Here is the most important death that has ever occurred, that secured our very salvation, and Jesus Christ got an improper burial. And Jesus says, I am pleased that what she did for me was done in love because it showed my worth. Here's the second answer to why Jesus defended Mary. She did it for us. She did it for us. Jesus said wherever the gospel was preached in the world, what Mary did would be remembered in memory of her. We're doing that, by the way, right now. Exactly what Jesus said we are doing right now. Now you know what a memory is, a memorial, it's a remembrance. It's a sign that calls attention to a great action. Mary's anointing with the equivalent of $30,000 of very expensive ointment points us to Jesus, and you know what it says? It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's what it says why should he get $30,000 of expensive fume perfume here's the answer worthy is the lamb that was slain that's the answer and jesus did it for mary did it for him but she also did it for us That we would come to see Him as our King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We would trust Him as obedient Savior, grow to love Him more and more, and give Him obedient worship. If I could state in one sentence, I believe, what is the main lesson of this passage. I think it would be something like this. Would you read this with me? Because this is the central truth that God wants us to get. Let's read it together. Whenever we show the worth of Jesus to others by a sacrifice He approves, that act of love pleases Him. Do you see? Loving Jesus is costly. Sometimes it is risky. But it's always worthy because it points others to Him and says, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. If you're like me, you do not know these five men. They were the first missions team ever sent out by New Tribes Mission in 1943. The second man in was Pastor Cecil Dye who had a very successful church in Saginaw, Michigan. The fourth man in was his brother, Robert Dye. They went into the jungles of Bolivia to reach an unreached tribe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what they were warned with. You will not come back alive. In fact, some said to them, why go out there and risk your lives? Here's what Cecil Dye said as he left a comfortable church in Saginaw, Michigan, with his brother and three others to reach these people who had never heard of Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. It is because the glorious name of Jesus is not known here and must be made known at any cost. That's why we are going. I don't believe we care so much whether this expedition is a failure so far as our lives are concerned. But we want God to get the most possible glory from everything that happens. All five were murdered, and they were never seen again. They became the founding fathers of New Tribes' mission. Three of the widows continued reaching that tribe until some had come to Christ, and they had planted a church amongst that tribe One day, some of the relatives of the men, the warriors who had killed these five, came to these widows and said to them, We apologize to you for our relatives who murdered your husbands. And one of the widows said this in return, It was worth my husband's death to see you come to know Jesus Christ. And if you go on the internet, there sits a native in Bolivia in a church service with a Bible open, worshiping. The Lord Jesus Christ. Most of us here today, we won't be called to make that sacrifice. But there are a host of other sacrifices we will be called to make. And when we are called to make those sacrifices, other people will see how worthy our Savior is. And He will be pleased with our act of love. Don't ever forget, loving Jesus is costly. It is often risky. But it is always worthy. Let's bow together and pray. In a moment, we will sing some very inspirational songs. But here's what I want to say to you as we close. If you are here today and you do not love Jesus, and you do not want to give Him obedient worship, there is one reason. You don't have personal faith in Jesus. And you will never be able to love Him, nor will you ever be motivated to obey Him until you first know Him. And that's always the starting point. And if you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I don't believe, or I'm not sure that I have believed, I want you to know. The Christian life will never work for you until you settle that issue. And you need to come to Christ just like a child, confessing your weakness and your need, telling Him that you believe who He is, what He's done, and you want to trust Him as Lord and Savior. And I invite you to do that in your heart this very day and then for those of us who are brothers and sisters it is only as your faith grows in Jesus as you learn about him that your love for him will grow and if your love for him grows your obedience even in the very hard things will become what you want to offer the master And so today, if your love for Him is stagnant and your obedience is very indifferent, I can tell you the reason. It's because your faith is not growing. Because the more you get to know Him and the more you learn of Him through His Word, the more you will love Him and the more you will want to give your life in obedience to Him. And so, Lord Jesus, whatever the need is today, touch that spot in our hearts where we need to surrender to You. May we not be free. May we not be left alone. Until we respond to your great and loving purposes in our life. And I pray today that you will draw men and women, boys and girls, into this loving relationship that you have set forth for all who own you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you now.